Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, humans. It's your host, Corey, and today I want to talk about perfectionism and its antidote. So like so many people who've had difficult backgrounds or really only criteria for perfectionism is being alive. (laughs) If you happen to be alive, you might struggle with perfectionism. And perfectionism, it's caused by so many things, truly. Part of it is cultural narratives. Things have to be a certain way or they don't count. They don't matter. If your life doesn't look a certain way, then there must be something wrong with you or your situation. Something needs to always be fixed. And so this obsession with perfectionism is very dominant in our everyday lives. And like everyone else, I thought if I could just make my life perfect, if I could just not have any problems, if I could just look a certain way and have a certain job and do a certain thing, then I would be happy. If everything was perfect, I would be happy. But the only problem is to be human is to be imperfect. I have never been perfect, and my life has never been perfect, and striving to make it so only sets me up for disappointment, for feeling like I'm not good enough, for feeling like I'll never heal or get out of my situation or live a good life. I believe a lot of my perfectionism narratives were inherited from my dad. He was pretty militant about perfectionism in his own life. Things had to be tidy and clean in a certain way. Chores and tasks had to be performed in a certain way. He really cared a lot about his image, how he appeared to other people, and any threat to this facade of perfection that he had in his life would make him very aggressive, would make him say the terrible thing or retaliate in some way. And so... From these interactions as a child, I began to develop a real fear of things not being perfect around me. If something wasn't put away a certain way or if someone was going to come over to my house and see it in a state of disarray, (laughs) which by the way, if you understood what my definition of disarray is, you would already be like, wow. (laughs) because it's lower threshold of pain than most people's. My wife has a tendency to leave shoes by the door. For example, she'll come in and she'll just kick her shoes off, and that works for her. And I get upset that all these shoes are just by the front door, kind of willy-nilly, kicked all over the place, or, you know, she'll throw a coat over the back of the chair. I'm like, ah, that coat's going to be in the closet. So much to her dismay, (laughs) in the early years of our relationship, anytime someone would come to visit me, I would get really hyper-focused on trying to clean the house. It was unthinkable that I would have a friend come over and that they would see shoes on the floor or coats not on their hangers in the closet or a blanket folded poorly (laughs) on the arm of They would think something terrible about me. If my house wasn't perfect, they would think that I was living in squalor. And I don't know if that's because when I was young, I did struggle with money. My mother, she didn't have a lot of money. And my dad's relationship with money didn't really take off until his business started doing well. 
when I was a teenager. So, you know, that first whole section of my life, I did always feel judged by what I wore, what my house looked like compared to other kids because I knew my things were not as nice as, as theirs. So I don't know if it's a combination of being aware of not having as much as other people or if it was a combination of my dad's I don't know if he would ever be diagnosed with OCD, but definitely some of the behaviors of having things put in a certain way or him getting very upset. Or also because he came from a very poor background, so maybe he also had that compulsion because of his growing up in poverty. Whatever it is, whatever the source of this anguish <laughs> is, the, the tendency to strive for perfection was ingrained in me from a very early age. And so any appearance of imperfection meant that there was something wrong with me. But again, because we're human, it's impossible to be perfect all the time, to do things perfectly, to have your house spotless at any given moment in case anyone happens to stop by. These things are not usually obtainable, and so it leaves you with this feeling of never being good enough. You're not good enough. Your environment's not good enough. Maybe it will never be good enough. These are the stories that come in if we cling to perfectionism. So when I began to realize how destructive this drive for perfectionism was, how much anguish and unhappiness it was causing me, I wanted to divorce myself from it. I wanted to relinquish my need for perfection because I knew that if I could get rid of it, it would free me up to start changing my internal environment, the beliefs I held about myself, that I could in fact now have room to start believing the radical thought of I am good enough and there's nothing wrong with me, which are thoughts that we often struggle to comprehend. It is incomprehensible to many of us that there is nothing wrong with ourselves and that we are in fact good enough exactly as we are. But I knew that abandoning perfectionism would be one way to move me in that direction. It didn't happen all at once, of course. Even when I was like, I'm not going to be a perfectionist anymore. <laughs> I was still running around gathering up all of my wife's shoes and her coats and things if someone was like going to stop by. <laughs> so, no, it, it is a habit, perfectionism. So you do have to break it like any other bad habit that you have. And so it took time. It took working with my habits. It took lessening its hold on me in order to weaken it. But it started with that internal conviction that I do not believe this anymore. I'm not going to give any credit or validation to this thought anymore. It does not serve me. I just don't believe it. And of course, when we say these things and we interrupt these negative dialogues in our head, the first <laughs> several months, maybe the mantra is said out of desperation, like, I don't believe this anymore. <laughs> I don't believe in it. But what can you do except for start wherever you are? So if you start in a place where you don't believe it and just keep saying it until you start to believe it, until you really are convicted that, oh gosh, yes, I really do believe this. It takes time and just keep moving yourself in the right direction. But once I was able to weaken the chokehold that perfectionism had on me, once I was able to fully believe that these were bad habits that my father had, it makes him miserable. It makes his world very small and difficult to navigate. And I want better for myself. When I began to rewrite my own rules, my own laws in that sense, then a lot of great things happened for me. And it wasn't just the belief that, oh, I'm finally good enough. There's actually nothing wrong with me. There were also more practical results of ridding my life of perfectionism. First of all, perfectionism is a extreme 
It's on one end of a spectrum. But in life, we are our happiest when we are maintaining a balance, when we're on that steady center of many different aspects that pull this way and that way, but it's fine because, you know, that's life. Life is in flux always. And we're okay as long as we stay in the center if we maintain our sense of balance. Well, then what is this counterbalance? What can I do to bring myself back to my center? How can I give a bit of temperance to this perfectionism? And part of that awareness was connected to me realizing what I was clinging to, what I needed to let go of in my life, what really did not matter at all to me. So some of it was rewriting my value system. Other parts of it was recognizing that just because a value mattered a lot to one or both of my parents did not mean it needed to matter to me, or even that a value could bring me happiness. Clarifying for myself what my actual goals were. If my actual goal is to feel peace, to feel unburdened, to have more freedom in my life, and perfection is the opposite of that, you know, because to be free is the antithesis of perfectionism. (laughs) You can't live a perfect life and feel totally free because perfectionism requires that you walk a very thin line. You know, you have this tiny strip in which to operate, and that is the opposite of freedom. So I had to ask myself, what do I value more, freedom or perfectionism? And for me, the answer was freedom, because in my mind, freedom is connected to peace. And above all, that is what I want. I want to be at peace in my mind, in my heart, every day, (laughs) every minute of every hour of every day until I die. Just be at peace. (laughs) And uh, I know I can't be the only one or we wouldn't have all these jokes of people being like meditating in inner peace, inner peace. So I know I'm not the only one out there trying to manifest inner peace 24-7. So in my mind, when I was able to tell myself, you know, freedom is more important to me, my sense of peace is more important to me, and I accepted that perfection was on the opposite end of that spectrum, then I just did what I could to move myself toward freedom and peace. And that's often what change comes down to, is you just move toward something. It's not even about moving away from something. It's about moving towards something. So one way to negatively frame it is, oh, I want to stop being such a perfectionist. That puts the focus on what you want to get rid of. But instead, if you focus on what you want more of in your life, instead of focusing on the negative, I want more freedom. I want more peace. I want to eat more nutritious foods. In those instances, you're moving toward something rather than running away from something. And that can often be more powerful and more motivating because it's always easier to go after something you want than it is to run away from something you don't want. At least that's been my experience. I can, I'm now immediately thinking, (laughs) I'm now immediately thinking of other examples like, well, would I run faster towards a chocolate bar or away from a crocodile? So maybe that's not the greatest example, but keeping in mind what you want does frame it in a more positive light rather than, again, kind of having the second narrative of what's wrong with you. My perfectionism is what's wrong with me. My eating disorder is what's wrong with me. My bad relationships and my inability to make good connections with people, that's what's wrong with me. Framing it in that way, I hope you can hear it when I say it, it's it's very negative and it's it's another way of talking down to yourself even if you don't realize that that's what you're doing. So moving from perfectionism to freedom, that was very helpful focusing on what I wanted most, which was peace. 
And it really just came down to, on a practical level, that every time I was put in this situation, here are some shoes on the floor, I had to stop myself and say, okay, what do I really want right now? I'm getting frenzied about my wife's mess, but what do I really want? Do I want peace? Do I want freedom? Or do I want perfectionism? And repeatedly being put in those positions is what helped me to make those choices. And then with each opportunity, the choices got easier, except for, of course, on the days when maybe we have low energy or we're in a bad headspace, then it's really hard to make any good choices. (laughs) We just want to be in a heap on the couch. But the reason why the choices got easier with time is because a lot of other benefits were cropping up for me as I continued to recommit again and again to my goal with every choice that I made. I noticed that I had an improved sense of willpower. Every time I told myself, you know, I wasn't going to be attached to perfectionism, that I wanted this other thing instead, it improved my willpower because I had to abstain from doing the compulsive thing. In the example of tidying, you know, compulsively running around trying to get everything back where it needed to go. It also helped me to develop more self-awareness because in order for me to stop frantically running around the house, I had to realize I was doing it. So it was building willpower, it was building self-awareness, it was getting to know myself and what really mattered to me, which is the value statements I just mentioned. And all this practice led to a sense of good discernment of when I was doing it, when I wasn't doing it. Because sometimes it can be really subtle. Sometimes we can think we're not doing something, (laughs) and we actually are. I ran into this a lot when I was recovering from my eating disorder. I would tell myself, oh, no, I'm just eating healthy by not having X, Y, and Z. But really, it was just a new sneaky way to convince myself to be restrictive in my eating or to, you know, do something unhealthy. But I was hiding it behind this this other narrative, this other facade. I was lying to myself. And so the more we practice making these choices of I'm going to move away from perfectionism, doesn't make me happy. I'm committed to my freedom. And then you get to practice that again and again and again. Every time you're put in these situations that push you, then you can start to see the subtle ways in which you might still be clinging or tricking yourself into still doing it. And also just the idea that perfectionism is a really weird concept when you think about it. Because I have two examples of things from the human world that are truly phenomenal. One is traveling to the moon and When we travel to the moon, the ship actually doesn't have just like a straight line, like boop from here to there on the moon, perfect course, no no wandering off, they know exactly where they're going, (laughs) the calculations are impeccable, so on and so forth. But actually the ship traveling to the moon is only sort of going in the direction of the moon. And then they keep making minor adjustments until they get there. So there is no perfectionism on that pathway to the moon. So even something as big and amazing as getting a ship from Earth to the moon does not require perfectionism. The ship kind of just goes how it can, it gets there how it can, and it continues to make adjustments on its path in order to arrive safely. And that's the same for us humans. We just continue to make adjustments as we go along, and we will arrive at our destination. It does not have to be perfect. And then my second example is the stock market. The stock market is representational of success. A great stock market, a functioning, thriving stock market, that is the pinnacle of success. But if you look at any stock, any of these stocks you would consider successful, Google, Apple, Microsoft, whatever stock you can come up with in your head, 
and you looked at the graph of that stock over time, it is never just a straight upward climb of progress, of perfect growth. It's up and down. It's all over the place. It looks far more like a jagged line drawn by a four-year-old than it does a perfect upward trajectory. So success just means trending upward. It is not perfection. It does not mean that there's no room for mistakes. Instead, what you can strive for is just balance, not perfection. Balance is what will set you free. Balance is what will give you peace. Balance will let you know, like the spaceship heading to the moon, if you're just trending in the right direction, and then that's all you need to do. Because the true myth is that things will stay the same, that our lives move in predictable patterns, and that if we can just get everything in our life in place, that it will be perfect going forward. But that is an illusion. The world, our lives, they're constantly shifting, they're constantly moving, they're constantly changing, and that is actually what's normal. That's actually what's natural. But if we require everything to be fixed and rigid, we're just setting ourselves up for misery every time something changes. So give up on perfectionism. It's a myth. It's going to make you miserable. Zero value. It only matters that you bring yourself into balance and you do what you can to trend in the right direction. And that's it. That's all you got to do. And that's all I have for you today. As always, I hope you found this episode useful. I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. But until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.